Lord, it is all about your glory. It is all about who you are. It's about the amazing reality of you having come in the flesh to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Lord, I pray as we just continue our series in John, that even at this Christmas, even though we are talking about Christ, the adult incarnate, this is where the birth goes to. What's really happening and what we're leading into and what we're even talking about today, the resurrection and the life, that is what the birth is all about. Lord, may you be magnified. May you be made big today. I even pray just in the frailty of my voice today, God. Would you speak big? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good singing. It is December. It is December. Oh my word, how time flies. And they say that there is a reason for the season. And we know that the reason for the season is Jesus Christ. But Today I really want to approach that in our passage in John chapter 11 and turn there. I want for us to see today that the glory of Christ is what it is all about for you and I today, friends. It's not just a cute remembrance thought for warm, cuddly things and snowmen and trees. I'm all about having a blast with all that. It is about the Savior and the present reality of it. We're going to cover John chapter 11 today, a crazy wild text, and it is killing me that I have to talk to you today a bit like a teacher, because my voice is really weak today. Um, So I've got two services to do, and so I'm going to be a little bit more laid back than normal, but I'm telling you, inside of me, I'm going crazy. Okay, so let's uh, get enthusiastic about this passage, even if I can't fully here. All right, you ready? Help me out. Thank you. Okay, here we go. John chapter 11. Let's begin verse one. Now, a certain man was ill, uh, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. A couple things here. Mary anoints Jesus' feet. It's interesting. That doesn't take place until chapter 12. But John makes mention of it. We're going to talk about that next week. Why does John make mention of it? Well, because he assumes that his readers, because he's writing ahead of John chapter 12, after all these events happened, and he's referring back to it. And so it's interesting there in the timeline of how things work. Uh, verse 3, so the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Notice he's ill here. Now the story of raising Lazarus from the dead, oop, I already told the story. Uh, most know the story, Okay. 
But here at this point, Lazarus is not dead. Lazarus is what? He's sick. He's ill. Now notice in here one of the wonderful statements. It says, so the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love. They're not saying, Lord, you're the one we love. It's not saying, Lord, Lazarus loves you. It's literally saying, Jesus, the one that you love. This is one of those passages, and we're going to see through here, that if you have this idea that God is some far-off distant star, you have a full wrong understanding of who God is. And remember, Jesus is the image of the Father. We've seen that in John so far. You want to know what the Father's like? Look at Christ. And here it talks about you love him. This is a genuine affection for Lazarus. We know that John 3.16, God so loved the world. We get that. But here there's a personal friendship, a closeness that's taking place here. Don't lose sight of what's happening in this. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Now, it's interesting here because this does not mean that Lazarus' illness is not going to be fatal. (laughs) Wait, how could you put those two together? Uh, Because we know the rest of the story. But it's interesting how Jesus speaks through this process. And he says, the illness uh, doesn't lead to death. Look at this next part. What's it going to lead to? It is for the glory of God. It is for the glory of God. Look at the rest of the verse. So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now understand, when we generally think of the word glory in relationship to the Lord, we think, I'm going to have a bigger, wow, glory, God. And that's true. But the word here, that this word that is used here, and is so often used like in Mark and in John, the Greek word that's used here really encompasses more of this idea of revealing, the revelation of. We could literally read this as, it is for the revealing of God. It is so that the Son of God would be more revealed And as the Son of God, as God is more revealed, we walk away from that and go, oh my, in a bigger way. What's happening here, please, please get this. He is saying that what is taking place here, already before the whole event's even happening, he's saying all of this is that God would be revealed in an increasing way. That's the purpose of what this whole event is for. Let's keep reading. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I think this is a really important verse. Because in light of what I just said, one could walk away and go, so we're kind of chess pieces for God then. So we're kind of like people that can be moved along, placed here and there, shoved along, and God's just going to do whatever he wants with it. But yet here, John comes and he brings in this verse, Jesus loved Martha. Jesus loved Mary. Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved them. He what? He loved them. This isn't some arrogant, proud God who's just like, I want to show you how awesome I am. And I'm going to do that by playing with you. 
fools. That's not what God's doing. You see that the beginning of verse 5 is tied to verse 4 through the now. That's a movement idea. In light of the purpose, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. By the way, I just want to pause here at a moment here in light of this and just say, what are you going through in life right now that hits hard? A medical problem, a health problem, financial tension. Maybe you've lost an expected sale or hours have been cut or there's no bonus this year, no raise for next year, or you've lost your job. What if it's hurts from the past pop up? You've done some really regretful things in your life. Or maybe there have been some really wrong things done to you. What about relationship conflicts? Relationship conflicts in your family or uh, friends at school are saying and doing hurtful things to you. Or maybe you're dating and there's a breakup or someone does something that hurts you or another or a marriage conflict. Or what about just a general life trial? You're going through something you never thought you would go through and frankly you don't think you should go through. Let me remind you of verse 4. This trial does not lead to death. (laughs) It is for the increased revealing of God. It is so that the Son of God may be increasingly revealed through it. So, Doug, are you saying that God knows my situation and has a purpose for it? Yes. What's the purpose? Um, Verse 4. Other than that, I don't know. I'm saying that your Savior knows every intricate detail of your present life situation. Every intricate detail. He sees the entire timeline and the purposes of it all. And the reason is that he would be increasingly revealed through it and to you. Key statement. God works life on purpose. I must embrace that. God works life on purpose. I must embrace that. Let's keep reading and get some more with this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6, so, the conjunction, starting verse 6. It ties it into what he just said. Here's what he's saying. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Why did he stay longer, two days longer in the place that he was? Why? Because he loved Martha and because he loved Mary and because he loved Lazarus. That's why he stayed two days more. You can't separate those two verses. There's a conjunction there intended to bring the thought together. And the thought together of those two verses is tied to the thought of verse 4. It is for the revealing of God. God's purposes are to reveal himself in increasing ways. And he loves you so much that he will even allow life at times to be really hard. Why? So that he can do something that you and I don't even know about. 
That's hard to take, isn't it? Verse 7, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea. Who's he talking to right now? The disciples. And he said to the disciples, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? You remember the story. Why go back? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, by the way, in that time, they talked about 12 hours was the daylight time. And it was just the thing. You worked during the day and you didn't work at night. That was the deal. That was how life was done in that uh, agricultural, non-electric world. Verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I love that. What's your theology of death? Here Jesus says he's fallen asleep. Listen, dead is not done. Fallen asleep. But I go to awaken him. That's cool. Verse 12, the disciples said to him, oh, he's asleep. So Lord, if he has fallen asleep, uh, he'll recover. We'll just go wake him up. Uh, No, he's talking a different eternal reality. Verse 13, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant by taking rest and sleep, which I probably would have too at the time. Then Jesus told them plenty. Okay, guys, you aren't quite getting the sleep theology thing, so let me just say it in your own words. Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad. Wait, 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 wait. And for whose sake? For who? And who is there? The disciples. And for their sake, for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. That sounds rude. So that you may believe. But let us go to him. Friends, this is not just about God doing a work in the life of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. This is also about God doing a work in the life of the disciples as well. Who would have thunk? None of these people, very possibly like you and I would have been, are understanding that God has purposes far beyond what could even be imagined in this whole thing. We're just like sitting here in the now and living life on the dot rather than seeing life on the line. Verse 17. Let me pause here. Life gets hard. Life gets hurtful. It gets uncomfortable. It gets scary. It gets sad. It gets discouraging. What's up? For some of you right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and I don't even know what I'm talking about with you and what's going on in your life. But I want to let you know, God knows everything about it. Everything. God knows exactly what's happening. He knows what's happening in it right now. And get this, he knows what's going to happen. Who can do that? And God is seeking to use what's hard and what's uncomfortable and what's scary and what's sad and what's discouraging to reveal himself, to show his greatness and his glory. He's seeking to reveal himself to you, that you would be able to walk through this and see him greater. He's also seeking to use this not just to you, but to others. They have no idea. So that others could increasingly see him more. So what what hard, hurtful, uncomfortable, scary, sad, discouraging situation is going on in your life right now? 
I'm not saying if, I'm saying what. What's going on in your life right now? Verse 4. It is for the revealing of God. How has God's revealing purposes been your purposes? Have you been embracing that theological fact? Friends, please understand. I don't enjoy trials. Ask my wife. When they come, we don't sit around the dinner table and I go, I don't know about you, but I am loving this. That generally doesn't happen. This is where biblical thinking has to overtake the emotional reality that we are experiencing in it. And I don't know what God is up to. I don't know why. I don't even like it. But I do know this. He knows. And my job, my task, is to trust him in it. And to get all of it from it that I possibly can. Oh God, help me through this. Help me endure. Oh God, help me think right in it. Because I don't like it right now. Please understand, the Lord is right now in the process of taking a man's life. And his sisters don't know that. And the disciples don't know that. The anguish that is coming out of the reality of the situation at hand here is huge. Hey, if you're embracing God's purposes, brother, sister, I want to encourage you to continue in that. If you're not, I want to challenge you to seek forgiveness for trying to take it on your own and buck God and instead embrace him by faith that he's going to do something in it. Man, I'm telling you, this is man theology. This is manly stuff, isn't it? God works on life. God works life on purpose. I must embrace that. Second, God reveals himself. I must make a choice. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb. How many days? Four days. He'd already been in the tomb. What does that mean? Does that mean he died? And that means four days of grief and hurt and wondering and confusion and pain. It's important four days. Historical literature has noted that in the time there was a rabbinic belief that the soul would hover over a deceased body for three days. In fact, a quote out of a historical document says, intending to re-enter the body. 
But as soon as the soul sees the appearance change, in other words, decomposition take place, it departs. And at that point, it was viewed that it was irreversible death. Four days. Why would Jesus not wait two days? Why would Jesus not wait three days? Why four days? Because there was the possibility out there in some small realms of theology that it would all be whisked away as a soul had just hovered and re-entered. He wasn't dead dead. Jesus made sure from man's perspective that he was dead dead. Isn't that cool? Listen, God completely understands the timeline, all the potential arguments that come down the road, and he carries them into their here and now, right now. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off to the east, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. There's hints in there, likely this family was uh, pretty well off. Uh, Verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus a little bit out, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How, How many days had she been grieving now? Verse 22, but even I know that whatever you ask from God, will get, God will give you. I want to say this is a fantastic statement of grief and faith. Grief is a reality. God has made us people of emotion. He has emotion. Emotion is not wrong in and of itself. But here there is grieving going on, and yet you also see contained within this, Martha is putting out some faith statements. She's confused as well. She knows that he could have done something. Bless her heart. I, I, massive commendations, because I don't know, maybe it would have been me out there, just like, dude, what is your problem? I'm a pretty much of a jerk, aren't I, as we go through these things. It's It's amazing. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, well, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Hey, again, girl, way to think theologically. She is. She hears Jesus says that. She's thinking theologically. Wrong theology, wrong point of theology. She's thinking that in the end, the resurrection will take place. She's like, yes, he's died. He's like, I got a better idea. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am, circle that, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, by the way, choice. God reveals himself. I must make a choice from here on out. You're going to hear me just saying choice a number of times. There's a choice that has to be made in light of God revealing himself. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Look at this. Do you believe this? This is a fantastic directive statement. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Verses 21 to 22, I think uh, Martha here has what I'm going to call an abstract faith statement. In it, she acknowledges that there is a special Jesus and God connection thing going on. But yet, it's very abstract. Yeah, I believe in God. 
yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I believe that there's a very special thing going on between Jesus and God. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I have faith. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, that's incredibly abstract. You may have grown up with a lot of religion that has a lot of right abstract thinking, but none of it comes together into the reality of the moment of what's real. And here Jesus takes this woman making a great faith statement, but an abstract faith statement, and he calls her to define her faith. Wait, 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 Martha. Question. I am the resurrection of life. Do you believe that? This is moved from I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. I believe in Christmas. I believe in all the wonderful, abstract, nice, warm, fuzzy, abstract religious things out there. And Jesus comes in and says, no, I'm talking about who do you believe that I am? Let's nail it right now. And he tries to help her move from abstract faith to defining faith. From an I believe in to an I believe you are. Where are you at? Is your faith really warm and fuzzy and abstract? Is it just religious? Every time you see in the Bible Jesus talking to people who have very abstract faith, He either does two things. He either rebukes them or he calls them to a decision point. Abstract faith gets you nowhere. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? And has there come a time where you've driven the stake in the ground and you've said, listen, I'm nailing it. This is who he is. I'm receiving him as my savior. And I'm telling you that then changes everything from here on out. Not because, and the reason is because it's not abstract faith. It's because you've made a determination and a designation as to who he is. And in light of who he is, that now changes how you have to live. Otherwise, you don't believe who you say he is. Verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, She rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not not have died. Confusion, frustration, and I'm also going to say faith. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and when Jesus saw the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. This is a really important turn point in this whole story here because right here it says, John helps us to understand, Jesus sees her, it's like he's standing and he's taking it in. It's like time stops, you know, kind of like in a movie or something. Everybody stops still and he looks at her and he sees her weeping and he understands the grief of four days and the hurt. 
And then he looks at all the people and same thing. He sees them all weeping. Some of them, frankly, in the day were paid to weep. Even taking that issue in. And seeing the death of Lazarus in the tomb. This is a statement here, friends, that in our English translations, we, I'll just say it, I think we often mess up. We often kind of walk away from this idea that here that talking about Jesus being deeply moved, it's kind of like he's very sentimental and touched, and he is. But the word that's used here, talking about deeply moved, combined with the word that talks about greatly troubled, the deeply moved word here is actually used to refer to horses when they snort in anger. To humans, this word was used in referring to them being indignant about something. I don't think this is a moment where Jesus is like, I'm so touched. I think this is a moment where two things are happening. One, he's angered and indignant by sin. Sin brings sickness and death and pain and hurt. You got to remember, if you, or Philippians chapter 2, he gave up the, the throne room of heaven to come with us in a sin-cursed world, and he's grasping what's taking place, and he's like, this is horrible. And I also think that in this, what he's responding to actually is in a sense of indignant anger to spiritual righteous anger at the unbelief that's being displayed. None of these people get it. How sad is that? Have you lived life at times where you're just like, no one gets me. No one understands me. Could you imagine being God with the people you've created and you're like, nobody gets me. First Thessalonians 4.13 says, uh, don't grieve like the rest of men that have no hope. Grief is not wrong, but grief of a hopeless despair is not of God. My health is gone. My money's gone. My relationship's gone. My happiness is gone. I have no hope. I have no purpose. I have no meaning in life. Uh, listen, that's not what should be the case. Yes, pain. Yes, hurt. But listen, if you know Christ is your Savior, you have eternal hope. No matter how hard it is. And I'm not making light of the hardness. It's hard. But here Jesus is looking. And I just got to say, are you outraged by the corruption of our world at times? I mean, just caught up in it. Oh, this is all so sad. Or are you caught up in it where I love this. I love this place. I love this stuff. I love what we have here. I also just want to add, sometimes are you just outraged at your own disbelief? I'm not talking about person next to you. I'm talking about you. I so don't get it. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, uh, I'm going to do something about this. Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Again, I want to make a note here. I think most of my life I've thought of this weeping as a very sentimental weeping. I think this is actually the physical reality of the burden of what we just talked about. 
the sin and the sickness and the death and the unbelief. It's so great. I just weep. So the Jews saw him weeping and said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? By the way, there's choice in there. Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. Oh, yeah, rabbinic four-day deal, three-day deal. It has been four days. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God choice? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, just picture this, friends. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around. That's huge. Why is he doing all this? It's not so that he like, can confirm in himself. Come on. He knows exactly. He's doing this to help other people grow. That God would be revealed to other people. Verse 4 that they may believe that you sent me. Choice. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. You know, people talk about if he would have just said come out, all the dead would have come out. Maybe very well would have been true. Why? Because he is the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine watching this? The man who had died came out, freaked out. His hands and his feet bound up. So is he like hopping? Uh, I mean, with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth? Jesus said, I mean, there's just a miracle getting out of the tomb and not like banging into the walls. And uh, there's some funny stuff in here, I think. With Jesus said to them, unbind him and let them go. Can I just say this? God revealed. God revealed. To Mary, to Martha, to the disciples, to everybody else standing around, and by the way, to Lazarus. Lazarus isn't in there like, I know what's going to happen. Verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him choice. But some of them choice went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do for this man performs many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. How sad is this? Politics hasn't changed a whole lot, has it? But one of them, Caiaphas, who is the high priest that year said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. In other words, he's saying, listen, let's just kill the guy and save the nation. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Friends, I don't have time to go through this. 
But God works through unbelieving people to accomplish his purposes. God is that big. Verse 32, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. That was a choice. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? You can read the rest. God works life on purpose. Embrace that. God reveals himself. Have you chosen that? And by the way, I'm not just talking about have you chosen him, driven the stake in the ground for your salvation. We're going to see baptism here about some people who have done that. But I'm even talking to you, believer, and going through a trial or a hard time that you are going in right now or will be. Are you going to drive the stake in the ground and see God in it? Or are you going to push God off the throne seat and take over? There is a reason for the season. And it's that God would reveal himself. God has a purpose. And his purpose is to reveal himself. And as we embrace his purposes. We see him bigger. Lord God I just pray here as we take this time now. To be able to uh, just celebrate. What we're talking about. I pray you would. Impress on our hearts and reveal yourself in increasing ways. Lord, right now, there are many in life hurts and trials and times of confusions and ones that I know about and ones I have no idea about, but you do. You know exactly what's up, you know exactly what's to come, and you know why. And I would just pray for them that they would embrace you in it in faith. May we embrace you, revealing yourself in our lives, in our families, in our work, in our trials, in our money, in our choices, in our conflicts, in our discouragement, in this church as a family. Reveal yourself in our future facility process. I pray just this morning as we talked about the funds that need to be raised in it, that it wouldn't be about the funds, but it would be about a God who reveals himself huge over these next two years, so that we can be awed by you. You are working life on purpose. Thank you.